Rest of us, let's open up to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. I tried to get through all of Daniel chapter 2 this morning. However, I don't think that's going to happen. Most. Most. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And so they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, and for those of you who uh, are Bible nerds, from this verse on through the end of chapter 7, it switches to Aramaic. Obviously, we're in English. But that's what happens in the original. But he says to him, uh, the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor, therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Lord, we come before your word again, and we do ask that you would speak to our hearts concerning these things, Lord. Lord, the times we, we live in call for answers that are beyond what we can muster up. Lord, we, we have your word, and, and Lord, how we need you to make it come alive in this day and age, in the hearts of your people and in the lost that surround us. And so, Father, be merciful to us. Give us ears to hear and, and hearts to receive um, what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. You know, chapter 2 of Daniel basically introduces us, we'll get there, but to the first of, of several dreams and visions, basically, that we are going to see in the book of Daniel. And according to the first verse, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it's in his second year of his reign, which would have been his third year in office. I won't get into all that, but if you see a discrepancy between the second and third year and all that stuff, it's just the difference between the way the Jews count and the Babylonians count it. Anyways, it is his, his second year, which would have been Daniel's third year in captivity, which is technically Nebuchadnezzar's third year of ruling. Um, this is basically around 604 B.C. It's, it's 2,600 years ago for us. So 600 years before Christ that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. So quite a ways back in world history. And this dream was no ordinary dream. The king knew it, and there was great significance, and he wanted to get to the truth. He wanted to know what it actually meant. He needed to know. And so it tells us, as he was so perplexed about what the meaning was, that he called all the wise men of the day in his culture. He summoned all the magicians, all the enchanters, all the sorcerers, and all the Chaldeans. It sounds like something like out of Harry Potter. They had a convention there. And... and and these were the wisest people in the land. Uh, they were the ones who had been trained in Babylon University of chapter 1, and most likely were the ones that were now training others in Babylon, the Babylonian way. So Nebuchadnezzar summons the intellectuals of the age, and they all meet at the 
White House to try to figure out what in the world the answer to all this has. Do you see, we, we sometimes do that today. You hear of everybody, all the smart people getting together and figuring out the problems of the world of the day. And there were different groups of them here. Uh, we have the magicians. These were the scholarly fortune tellers. Uh, they were uh, the intellectuals of the day, but they weren't just like, you know, hocus pocus, but they did have a lot of that. They were fortune tellers. Then they had the enchanters, and basically these were the astrologers. They looked to the skies. They looked to the stars and the arrangement of the stars, uh, horoscope, so to speak, to kind of divine the future and, and the times and the things that were going on. It's interesting when we get into Christmas season, we find that, uh, uh, that, that there were kings from the east that came out and they were following a star. And, and there's a lot of talk about that, but some think that perhaps they were guys who were actually trained by Daniel. Um, not, we'll get into that a little later. Don't take that to the bank quite yet. That's just one thought. But anyways, these, there's enchanters of the day. And they were looked to for uh, to try to figure out what was going on. Then the sorcerers, these are the mediums who talk to the dead, the necromancers. They, they spoke to the dead. They try to conjure the dead spirits and speak to them. And so that's, that's obviously someone you'd want to call um, in the situation. And then there were those called the Chaldeans. Basically, Chaldeans is a term for the people of the land, but it, it's, a, it's synonymous with all the wise people of the land. They were the wise men. And these guys would have been the spokespeople for everybody who was of these groups. And so the Chaldeans were there. And so just like the rulers to today, the king was surrounded by counselors, by advisors of various kinds of, and, 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 and they provided all the worldly wisdom that, they could, that, that Babylon had to offer in trying to answer these things. And so the king summoned them, and he was set on getting to the truth, getting the truth out of them, and not their spin. How many of you know um, that... Um, you know, uh, let's just say whatever uh, position in leadership, you're, you're actually desiring what is really going on, not how people spin it. It's very difficult to come to, I think, anybody, political leadership or type of leadership is just trying to get to the truth of the matter and not spin it around. And that was the problem with the king here, is that he was surrounded by a bunch of wise people, wise guys, so to speak, and, and he really wanted to get to the truth of this. This dream was way too important. He sensed the significance of it. It upset him. He lost sleep over it. He sensed there was something great about it, and he just didn't come to the understanding. He didn't want to tell them the dream and then go, oh, this is what it means, and they start drawing things on the ground and looking at the stars and all that. They really wanted to know um, what was the truth of the matter? And so he gathers them and tells them he has a dream. They say, well, tell us the dream. And here's the thing. What does he say? You tell me the dream. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. That's what he was demanding. Now, how many of you can read other people's minds? I know you think you can, and we're kind of almost there in technology. Elon Musk is working on it, apparently. But I mean, truly... Uh, anybody who's married knows you, this is not working. You can't read other people's minds, especially dreams. And after all, you know, if you're surrounded by a group of people who are supposed to be experts in everything, especially when it comes to the spiritual and mystical things, uh, they should be able to tell you what the dream was, and also its interpretation. And, and to let you know that he wasn't messing around, he says a couple times, my word is firm. In other words, I'm meaning what I'm saying. 
you can take it to the bank. That if you do not do what I'm asking of you, if you don't give me the dream and its interpretation, I will tear you limb from limb and I will put your house down to the foundation. This is what the king of Babylon said. But however, if you do, you will receive gifts and rewards and great honor from me. And really, this gives us some further insight, insight into the king of Babylon. You want to know this guy. He's written about, the, the, this is the most written about pagan king that we have in the Bible. And it gives us insight. And as you're projecting forward, it's out of Babylon. It's, I don't want to jump ahead too much. But Babylon comes back again in the book of Revelation. And Babylon is the beginning of, so to speak, the kingdoms of men and what they're like, and how that works. And you're going to see a train of thought that's going to go all the way through, and it's going to be actually um, exemplified in a king called the Antichrist eventually. And so when you're looking at this king, um, you're going to see kind of snippets and foreshadows of the Antichrist in him. But he's, he was a formidable military leader. His dad was the one who did most of the hard work, but he was the commander of his dad's army, Nebuchadnezzar was. And he went around and conquered everybody. And then his dad died a couple of years before this, and he took over as king. So he, and he was also a very intelligent man. He had one of the seventh wonders of the world. He was actually a genius. He built the, the hanging uh, gardens of Babylon and all this type of stuff. And so architecture and and obviously uh, military, and, and his re-education plan of how to grab people and to indoctrinate them in the ways and to give them what they wanted, so to speak, the best of the, of, of the Babylonian culture, and to draw them in and to spend three years teaching them the ways, and so they would forsake their ways, and yet um, would be used by him in the end. And so he was a master at, at education. He was a master manipulator. He was, he's, he's, he's incredibly uh, incredibly brilliant. He's formidable. And so we saw in chapter 1 that just a little bit about him is, the, is remember the eunuch was in fear of his life. He was feared because uh, remember like if, if Daniel's saying, hey, I don't, I'm not going to eat your food. If, if you, know, you can make it out, he's like, listen, if you guys get skinny and, and, and the king sees it, I'm going to die. So you better figure something else out. And that's when they said, well, let's test it for 10 days. So they were in constant fear. Those who served under him were in constant fear of their lives to lose it. And so he ruled by the sword. And we're going to see more about that end of him in the king, about the king of Babylon as we're going around. But the idea is that he was not messing around. And we're going to see he had a quick temper. And his temper usually ended up with people being thrown into the pit or thrown in the lion's den or being killed. And he wouldn't just stop at like one person. He would kill whole groups of people. He was a brutal man. He wasn't messing around. And so they were commanded by Nebuchadnezzar to give us both the dream and the interpretation. Put yourself in that situation. A little nerve-wracking? You and your family are going to be wiped out. Well, verse 7 says, They answered a second time and said, let, let the king tell his servant the dream. And we'll show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. You know I mean business and you're just stalling. 
If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. No mercy. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the times change. There's a suspicion that he has about them not telling him the truth. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So the king obviously didn't trust his advisors. He thought that they would tell them lie, tell him lying and corrupt things if he had told them the dream. And so the king isn't budging. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Underline this. For no great and powerful king has asked such things of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Verse 11, And the king the thing the king has asked is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except for the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. The answer to this is beyond us. The answer to what you're asking, we cannot provide. They're saying this is unprecedented. That's unprecedented. What you're asking of us wise people, we don't have the capacity to do. It's with the gods, and they're not with us. Quite an admission there. Apart from divine intervention, you're stuck. Verse 12, and because of this, the king was, what? Angry and very furious. When you see the Bible say things like angry and very furious, you can only imagine what's in the Hebrew. Because it has to take that concept and break it up into so many words. The guy was out of his mind raging mad. And he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be what? Destroyed. Note that about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as, as we, we will see, he's given to anger and fury. This is over and over and over. He's given to anger and fury, and you're going to see this in his character again. This is the kind of king that everybody is under. Merciless, calculating, formidable. Has to have their way, and if they don't, they'll crush everybody in their sight. That's the world we live in, ultimately. He was so infuriated that he ordered that the men of Babylon, the great men of Babylon, be destroyed. He was going to round up all the magicians, all the chanters, everybody, and he was going to kill them and kill their families and burn them to the ground if they had families. And so, verse 13, and so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Remember, Daniel and his companions had been captured. And what, it, what happened to Daniel? He was educated for three years under this whole group as, as to be a wise man. And at the end of that third year, he would be a wise man. Well, this is at the end of that third year. He's done, and now he just got his bachelor's degree in whatever this is. Right? He's all great. And now all of a sudden, they kick open the door and say, you're one of them. We're going to take you out. So here he is, this apprentice wise man. He has no doubt 
he's considered too inexperienced probably to be brought into that first meeting where everybody is trying to divine the king's uh, dream and all that stuff. He's back with all the freshmen. And so, nevertheless, he is lumped with all of these wise men and is condemned with them as a group to be killed. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence as they came into the door. He replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. Captains of the king's guard is this translated executioner. He is the king's executioner who had gone to kill the wise men of Babylon. Verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Great question. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? You know, as Daniel is faced with sudden execution, with his life on the line, they walk in, he doesn't understand what's going on. They find Daniel and his friends. And notice how Daniel responds to the crisis. You can imagine, think people are going through the palace, they're grabbing people, they're pulling them out, they're getting ready to execute them, all that type of stuff. And Daniel, he responds not by freaking out. He responds with prudence. He, he responds appropriately. And I believe this is in contrast to all of the magicians who were at the king's court and were trying to talk up the king and to stall for time and all this type of stuff. Daniel just had a poise about him. When they came into the room, Daniel wasn't using flattering words or trying to stall for time. He simply just asked the question in adversity. He asked with his own life on the line. He spoke with prudence and discretion to the executioner, meaning he spoke appropriately, not only in what he said, but how he said it to him. And it was no mistake that out of all the people that came into that room, out of all the people assigned to go gather everybody up and kill them, that the king's executioner, the very executioner of the king, came into Daniel's room, and Daniel spoke to him because God had a plan. And the way that Daniel spoke to him, God gave him favor with the executioner. Isn't that amazing? We know he gave favor because he then waltzes him into the king's chamber to set up an appointment to talk with the king. That's amazing. You can imagine the panic going on everywhere until they get to Daniel. Daniel, Daniel simply asks, why is the decree of the king so urgent? What is going on? What happened? You can imagine one day being offered the best and going through the education and all this type of thing, and the next thing they're kicking in your door ready to kill you. What happened? And somehow, just as God gave Daniel favor with the chief of the eunuchs, he gives him favor with the chief of the commanders there, the executioner. We know this because verse 15 says, and then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. He sits there and explains to him what's going on. <laughs> executioner kicks out the door, ready to kill you. Daniel says, hey, you know, and then God just gives him favor, and the executioner starts explaining the situation to Daniel. And as we will see in a bit, apparently walks Daniel over to the king's court to request a time to see the king. The point is that through everything, through all that Daniel is going through, through and his life has been nothing but adversity so far. Remember, he's about probably 17 to 18. He just got out of Babylonian college. Nothing but adversity. But through it all, God is orchestrating Daniel's days through the most difficult situations, through losing 
his family most likely, through losing loved ones, from being, you know, becoming a eunuch, to being brought to a foreign land, to being pushed into this pagan culture and lifestyle and all these things. God is orchestrating his days. How many of you feel like, where is God in all of this? Where, what's God doing? What, what's, what's, the, what's the big plan? God is orchestrating his very steps from his captivity to his willingness to be holy in an unholy situation, to the favor that was given him by the eunuch, those in charge over him in difficult circumstances, to the exceeding, exceedingly gift, uh, I don't know how to say that, but he just was gifted way good uh, in practical things. Obviously, I'm not. <laughs> Make case in point, Daniel was awesome in speech and skill and literature and all the practical things that he needed to do what he was called to do. God gifted him for the moment he was called into. God was preparing him. And not only that, he was given dynamic spiritual gifting. Not everybody has the ability to interpret dreams or to know dreams and all this type of stuff. Like Joseph, he was called for a moment in time and God had orchestrated his steps just like Joseph from the pit to the palace that is exactly what God is doing here with Daniel from captivity to what we will see, the same situation being put in charge of almost the whole land of Babylon. He's given him the spiritual gifts and vision and dreams. And to his ability to respond in crisis, God has given him grace in the moment that Everybody else can be freaking out when they're about to get their head chopped off and Daniel stands with poise. And we're going to see that over and over again with not only he, but his companions. There's a trust in God that roots them when the winds and the waves are blowing. They're grounded. It's God's work in their lives to the favor given to him by the chief of the king's guards, the executioner. God is at work in Daniel's life and God is at work in your life, brother and sister. In the difficult times, in the difficult days, in the difficult seasons, God has been leading Daniel and now by God's leading, Daniel is in the midst of a crisis that is out of his control. He cannot do anything, but what he can do, he does amazingly. He does what is most difficult. He speaks to the executioner, the executioner gives him grace. And then instead of running from the circumstances, he goes to the very person who is losing his mind in anger and fury and sets up an appointment to meet and talk with him. He faces adversity instead of runs away from it. Boy, how we need men and women of God who are Daniels and Daniela's, right? Who will go towards the issue and not cower away from it or speak around it. But instead of shrinking away for the moment, he seeks out that very king who called out his execution. He doesn't walk away from dif difficulty. He faces it head on. Probably through a messenger at first here. And he tells the king through a messenger probably, I, I can interpret your dream. I'll, I'll give you the interpretation. And it appears that there would be some time. There was a delay, possibly, when that happened. That's kind of how I'm reading this. I might be wrong. It might all be one event, but my guess is there's a delay here. That's what makes sense. Before Daniel would come to the 
king and give him the interpretation. Notice Daniel does not have the interpretation yet. He doesn't have the dream, does he? That was a step of faith. God had prepared him for the moment, knowing his gifting, knowing the moment, knowing his God. He stepped out in faith into the fire. And so what does he do in that time that he's waiting? Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, to Mishael, and to Azariah, his companions. So to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? And he told them to seek what? To seek mercy from God. The God of heaven concerning this mystery. Why? So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So while Daniel waits to see the king, Daniel goes to his godly brothers and sisters. He goes to his godly brothers in this case, and he asks them to what? Ask them to pray. Are any of you facing difficult circumstances this morning? I know we all are. But I mean extraordinary difficult circumstances in your life. And you're waiting for appointments. You're waiting for news back. You're just in a waiting cycle that will not end. What do we do? We've got we to gotta grab the body of Christ. We've got to be with one another. We have to pray. That's why we don't forsake gathering together. No matter what happens, we stick together. No matter what comes, we gather together. We grab one another. We pray with one another. With masks on, six feet apart, or close together, whatever God's calling you to do, pray. We need each other. Difficult days. And notice his prayer is specific. Two parts to his prayer. I'm going to simplify it. But the first part, what is he praying for? For God's what? His mercy. He's praying for mercy. mercy. And so there's fellowship and prayer. And as they get together, Daniel asks them, would you pray to the God of heaven for mercy, that we would have the interpretation that everybody wouldn't die, that God would be merciful to us in our circumstance. If there's one attribute of God that we need to be reminded of in these times and that is that God is a God of mercy. You know, there is no one more merciful than God. God is the definition of mercy. Mercy exists because He exists. Mercy flows from His being and His character. There is no one more merciful. And that word mercy here is actually translated also in Hebrew, compassion. Compassion. God is perfectly merciful, perfectly compassionate. Daniel, along with his friends in their time of trial and their hour, they threw themselves at God's mercy on his compassion. You see, the other people, they didn't know God. God didn't dwell with them. But Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they knew God and they knew of God that he was merciful. He was compassionate in what they were facing. 
Do you know God is merciful in your situation? He knows what's going on. He has compassion. He actually does care, even though it might be extremely, excruciatingly difficult in the circumstances you find yourself in. God has mercy and compassion in what you're facing today. God has, he's full of compassion, compassion for them, compassion for their circumstances, compassion for what they're facing, the inability for them to do anything about it. God knows that they're stuck. They don't, they, apart from him, they can't do anything. God knows he's compassionate. He is merciful in those situations. And not only for them, but for all of the lost people around them that will be affected by this. God is compassionate and and He's merciful. He is that God. The world didn't have any power. They didn't have any answers. The answers were beyond them. But the men of God, in this passage, they knew God and they looked to Him. And the first thing they appealed to was His mercy. As we look at what we're facing today in our country, we see on every level and every level of government and even individually, everybody grabbing all the wise men they can gather, telling them whatever they want to hear. We don't know what the truth is. The answers that we need are not at the CDC. They're with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Church, we need to pray for His mercy. We need His mercy in our circumstances. We are under God's judgment. And part of you wants to go, well, let it rip, because this can't go on. But God can also change hearts. He's merciful. You know, I, I just think we, we are the church. And if anybody should know the answer to the circumstances that are going on, it's us, not because anything good dwells in us and because we've got the answer, but because the answer has made himself known to us and has revealed himself to us. His mercy has been shown to us, and because he's been so merciful to us, Lord, would you be merciful in our time of need? Nevertheless, your will be done, whatever that might be. But we truly need, as those who know God, is to seek His mercy in this situation. So Daniel and his friends, they prayed for God's mercy, and guess what God did? Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel and the vision in the night. You ever thought that you might be in a difficult situation because God wants to act or do something and reveal himself, something about himself in such a way that is amazing and awesome. And you might not have done it that way, but this is how he chose to do it. Under the backdrop of difficulty and hopelessness and strain and all these things that God might want to show himself strong in all this, if we would just pray for his mercy, seek him in the moment. But God compelled Daniel to pray and his friends by allowing he and his friends to face all that they did. And so unlike the wise men of the world who had no answer, they knew God and God came to them and God answered. And so Daniel's prayer was for mercy 
But then it, and then God answers, and then what does God do? And then what does Daniel do? He switches his prayer, the second part of his prayer, from mercy to what? Praise. Praising the Lord. You know, this is our worship, church. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you by the mercies of God to basically live holy lives. It is your reasonable act of worship. Because of everything in chapters 1 through 11, because of His great mercy in Christ, oh, this is how we live. We live lives of worship. Because of His mercy upon us, now we worship. This is why we sing to Him. It's an overflowing of an expression of gratitude for His mercy upon us. Amen? So let it rip. You know what I mean? And if you find yourself being hypocritical in what you're singing, go back to contemplate the mercy of God, the character of God, the grace of God in your life, and you'll find that your heart will begin to well up with worship once again. But he, he sits there and says, man, what is this? He says there right in verse 20, he begins praising his name first of all. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. And then praising him for his attributes in verse 20 as well. To whom belong all wisdom and might. I'm not going to break all these down. You can do it for your private uh, devotion to the Lord. But praise him for his sovereignty over everything. Verses 21 and 22. Check it out. He, he changes times and season and he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Obviously, Daniel, knowing what the vision is, he's praying in, in, in saying, listen, this is all about the mystery of the future. And he's just saying, man, you are sovereign, God. You're amazing. And you revealed this hidden thing to me that I might give it to the king. I mean, he's just blown away. It's as if the, the, the heavens have been opened up and Daniel sees into the future of everything that's going to happen. And Daniel was the one recipient of that information. He was going to go give it to the king. And he's just worshiping God because it reveals God is sovereign. He's on the throne. These kingdoms will come one after another, but in the end, he will be the one who remains. Don't want to steal my own thunder there, but we'll get there. But he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light. So he praises him for his sovereignty, and then he praises him for answered prayer. Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what as asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Praise him for answered prayer. Amen. And then Daniel prayed. Daniel prayed basically, and God answered. Praise the Lord. He prayed for mercy, and he prayed for, and he just prayed for praise because God answered. Praise him when he answers you. Amen. Verse 24, and then Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. So apparently there was a little bit of time. And he went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Taking a little credit. I found this person as I was about to go kill everybody. Verse 26, And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? 
He's before the king. And the king asks him, are you able to give me the dream and the interpretation? Are you able to do it? Are you, Daniel, able to do it? This is the moment. This is the moment that God had been preparing Daniel for. He's before the most powerful ruler. He's been given the gift. He's been given the answer. He's got it. He's going to stand before the king. Can you make it known, Daniel? And here's the temptation. What did, how, how could Daniel answer? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. That was Joseph's problem. And when Joseph said, yes, I can, he spent two more years in prison. Until at the end of the time, he says, I don't have it in me. And then he was brought before the king and raised to the second command. You see, humility. Daniel is humble. We know that because he didn't take credit. He didn't pull the Arioch who said, yeah, I found this guy. Daniel could have pointed everything back to himself. When God puts you in a moment when he's given you the gifting, when he's given you the ability, when he's given you all those things, don't touch the glory. It's not yours. It's not mine. It is his alone. And Daniel knew this as an 18-year-old. Verse 27, And Daniel answered the king, and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Everyone you've asked does not know. And notice where Daniel points the king at this great moment. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. No one can do it, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Who is missing from that, that, all that? Who's missing? Daniel. He's simply a messenger. False prophets bring the attention to themselves. True prophets get out of the way and bring the message of God to the people. Make sense? There's a God, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he spoke to you. He's the one communicating to you. You need to know that right off. King, there's a God in heaven. He's spoken to you in your dream. Daniel gets out of the way and points the pagan king towards God. This isn't about Daniel. This is about God. And Daniel knows it. It's a holy moment. This is why in our worship, we've got to be sensitive towards these things, I believe. When we're worshiping and there's things going on, we don't just jump up and start be sensitive to what God's doing. Allow God to receive His glory. Have His moment with His people. Be aware of these things. Don't draw attention to yourself if you can. Help it, you know? But he says, this is the God in heaven, and he defines Him as we're closing up here, who reveals mysteries, the things that are hidden from mankind. This is the God, He who reveals mysteries. How many of you got some mysteries going on in your life right now? This is the one. He reveals ministries that are hidden from mankind, that men can't get to know apart from God revealing them. 
In particular, God has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, what is coming down the pipe. And that is what King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was about, the history of the world in advance. Verse 28, here it is. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Right off the bat, Daniel tells the king what he was thinking that night before he even got to the dream. And right about there, the king's jaw probably started to drop. You're not even telling me the dream. You're telling me what I was thinking before I had the dream. This is amazing. And this is a perfect opportunity for Daniel to say, and I am awesome. Because God gave me what it is. Notice what Daniel does. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. It's not me. Why has it been given to me? Not because of anything special about me. And Daniel knew that about himself. He was humble. He's 18 years old, standing before the highest power. He, he, was, he was nothing. It's not me. Why was it given to me? But in order that the interpretation may be made known to you, the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You may have understanding of what God's given you. Daniel focuses him on the king, and Daniel makes it clear it's not because of me. It's because of God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I think this is so important. We're almost done. Not, it's not important that we're almost done, but <laughs> interpret that however you want. But notice the, God, the person that God is going to use in really critical situations what is the characteristic that they usually have in common? Humility. This is why God spends so much time breaking people down, putting them through the ringer, letting them go through the desert, letting Moses do his deal for 40 years, and then another 40. Verse 31. Daniel tells the king the, vision, the dream. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle of thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, and as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. And then the iron... And the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, so there was not a trace of them that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So that's the first part of the dream. You've got this image with different various metals and a stone that was not cut with human hands. Obviously, the image was, comes and, cr and hits it, and it all falls apart. And so Daniel's gifted by God, and he tells him his dream. And then in verse, the next verse he says, 
that's the dream and this is the interpretation. And so the interpretation we'll get to next week. Amen? Lord God, your word is so good to us. Thank you so much for this day. Father, we ask that as your people, we would just trust you in the moment. We would seek you for the day. Lord, that we would put all the uh, sorcerers and all the other voices that are speaking about us, about the world's knowledge to rest, and we would seek you for your mercy in these times. We'd open your word and hear from your throne the things that truly matter and what will feed our soul and sustain us in the days to come. And Lord, through it all, we pray that your name would be glorified, that your son would be exalted, that your church would thrive in the midst of whatever you allow to go through, and that ultimately, Lord, we look forward to the day when the kingdoms of the earth are blown away like dust and you stand enthroned on this earth and in the age to come. And so we praise you and we honor you this morning. In the name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, amen.